Greg Kelly Show. I'm just watching Joe Biden get off the plane in Dover, Delaware. Dover, Delaware is a great big Air Force base there. Uh, I actually went through there a number of times. Uh, great big transports uh, take off and land there. And uh, a transport just got there with the bodies of three soldiers. And this is a tradition. Presidents often go, but depends how many casualties they are, quite frankly. Uh, when there are a lot coming home, the president is not there for every single one. During Iraq and Afghanistan, no. But when it doesn't happen all that often, and thank God it doesn't happen all that often, it's pretty much customary now for the president of the United States to attend and uh, to talk to the families. And um, Joe Biden, the empathizer-in-chief, does not know how to do that very well at all. He has screwed it up big time. You heard from those angry families. I mean, they are just, they can't stand this guy. He blows it every single time. And he's supposed to be good because he knows so much about death, right? Remember during the campaign? You know, he lost his uh, daughter and his wife in 1972 in a horrible car crash. It's amazing, though, but Joe Biden tries to kind of exaggerate what happened. I mean, it was terrible what happened. It was a long time ago. And everybody has endured tragedy to some degree, right? Everybody has. Joe is convinced that his is worse than anybody else's. And so nobody can, like, hold anything over him somehow as if it's a contest, if it's, a, you know, who who has more suffering. Joe at times has said that the driver of the truck that collided with his wife's car uh, was drunk. And he said he used to go around the state. Uh, go around the country saying that the truck driver was drinking his lunch. And uh, that's not true. The driver was alive and well in Delaware and started getting bullied and dirty looks because Delaware is a small state, and that wasn't true. And Joe finally had to stop saying it. The family of the driver wrote to him and said, you got to stop talking about our father like this because it's not true. Uh, the other thing that you should know about Joe well, we all know that he would not acknowledge the existence of his granddaughter. You know, if you're a multi, multi, multi-millionaire and you're the president of the United States and you actually go to the trouble of uh, going to court in another state and denying custody and trying to get child support down and then DNA testing proves that your son Hunter is the father and, and you're still contesting it and you have to be shamed into acknowledging that child – by the New York Times, Maureen Dowd finally wrote a big story, and she had to hang it on her sister. My sister says, Joe, you're better than this. And then finally, on a Friday night, late, they issue a paper statement saying, uh, we acknowledge the, our granddaughter, and this is a private matter. And you know, just, But he had to be forced into it. That's, um, that's not a good man, right? It's not. Uh, the other thing that I want to tell you about is Joe waits with the families down there. I wonder what's going on with the families. Joe is not a charming guy. <laughs> Whatever charm he had, he lost a, a long time ago. He seems to antagonize everybody he meets. Kind of like this. Cut 16, please cut 16. These family members met with Joe uh, in August of 2021 when their sons and daughters, dead, came home from Afghanistan, 13 of them, cut 16. Today is the date, two years ago, that we received our kids home at Dover. Two years ago today, 
where we were disrespected with stories of Biden's son and him looking at his watch. The disrespect that we were shown with him checking his watch, um, not even looking at us, I, 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 it was just total disrespect. And there couldn't be anything more disgusting and cowardly than the way you have treated us. You are a disgrace to this nation. You have no business having ultimate command over our military. And I regret not saying that to your face when I had the opportunity in Dover. Well, I stood there on the tarmac watching you check your watch over and over again. All I wanted to do was shout out, it's 2-30. But out of respect to the other grieving families, I bit my tongue once again. We're going to be talking to one of the men you just heard from, one of the family members, the Darren Hoover, the father of Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover, who was killed in Afghanistan, going to be on the phone with us in about 20 minutes. Um, this is what history wrote of that day. The families, you just heard how they were insulted in the watch moment. Um, a big book was written about the Biden administration by a guy named uh, Forward, Frank Foer. It's like a, a liberal Atlantic magazine editor. This is what he wrote about that day. The bodies of the dead troops were flown to Dover Air Force Base for a ritual known as the Dignified Transfer. Flag-draped caskets are marched down the gangway of a transport plane and then driven to the base's mortuary and prepared for burial. So much about the withdrawal in Afghanistan had slipped beyond Joe Biden's control, but grieving was his expertise. If there was one thing that everyone agreed Biden did more adroitly than any other public official, it was comforting survivors. The Irish journalist Fintan O'Toole labeled him the designated mourner. Goodness gracious. He's, he, he, by the way, he's no good at that. He, he, he's maudlin and unctuous and phony. Accompanied by Mark Milley, Tony Blinken, Lloyd Austin, and his wife, Jill, Biden arrived clad in black. They made their way to a private room where grieving families gathered. Even before Biden began to offer condolences, he knew he would be standing face to face with raw anger. A father had already turned his back on Lloyd Austin and angrily shouted at Millie, who held up his hands in the posture of surrender. When Biden entered, he shook the hand of Mark Schmitz of Missouri, who lost his 20-year-old son, Jared. In his sorrow, Schmitz couldn't decide whether he wanted to sit in the presence of the president. According to a report in the Washington Post the night before, he had told a military officer that he did not want to speak to the man he blamed for his son's death. In the morning, he changed his mind. Schmitz couldn't help but cast spiteful glares in Biden's direction. When Biden approached, he held out a photo of Jared. Don't you ever forget that name. Don't you ever forget that face. Don't you ever forget the names of the other 12 and take some time to learn their stories. I do know those stories, Biden retorted. What a crazy thing to say. You just got there. And a retort like he needed a comeback. He is a vicious, mean guy. After the dignified transfer, the family is piled onto a bus. Not a nice way to put it, by the way. And I'm watching the um, the president right now at Dover. I hope he didn't screw this up like he, he did the last one. And maybe he left his watch at home. After the dignified transfers, the families piled onto a bus. A sister of one of the dead screamed across the tarmac in Biden's direction. I hope you burn in hell. That was my brother. Of all the moments in August, this was the one that caused the president to second guess himself. It was the one time that he kept reanalyzing his actions. He asked Jen Psaki 
Did I do something wrong? Maybe I should have handled that differently. It was a thought that he repeated through the day. As Biden left, Milley saw the pain on the president's face. He tried to lift him up. You made a decision that had to be made. War is brutal. Vicious undertaking. We're moving forward to the next step. And that was it. And that was it. It's fascinating that this book omits what I saw on TV, what you've seen on TV, what the family saw, what the empathizer in chief, right, looking at his watch I mean, you're the president. You get caught looking at your watch at a funeral. That's a problem. That's a real problem, don't you think? Anyway, hey, if you don't mind, the new guy, what's his name again? This is the new guy, Thomas, 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 Thomas. He's all uh, uh, he's, he's all of 20 years old, and we're going to talk to the newest employee at WABC, or he's an intern or something along those lines. Um, Thomas is uh, fresh from Fordham University. And uh, have a seat. Thomas, uh, hi, how are you? Doing Greg, I'm doing good. How are you doing? How old are you? I'm 23. You're 23? Yeah. So that means you were born in uh, 2001? 2000. Damn. I know. Do you remember the first time you sent or received an email? Sent or received an email. I want to say fourth grade? Fourth grade. Fourth grade around there. That makes you like nine or ten? Yeah, around there. Wow. I was 26. Really? Yeah, the very first time. And uh, when did you first get a, a cell phone? Ooh, um, so my parents were very strict about giving me a cell phone, right? Because they were all, oh, the technology is not something you want to wrap your life around. And they're right. But I would say I was around 15, so eighth grade, towards the end of eighth grade. That's still a kid. And yeah. then did you, uh, so they were talking eight years ago mm-hmm. when Donald Trump's running for president. Uh and what do you do now? What apps are you on? So I have gone on a little self-reflection journey, a little bit of a renovation, if you will. I've gotten off of Snapchat. I'm starting to really lower my presence on Twitter and, and Instagram. And hey, what's those. your name again? Thomas. Can we send a regular guy in here, a regular kid who can give me an idea of what the people are doing? You're 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 like this superhuman. Uh, you already you're so mature. I was hoping for no. I'm only kidding, Thomas. Good for you. You're getting off all that stuff. Yeah, I think. Coming from from Fordham and being in WFUV, as you know. The radio station. Yeah. So what did you major in? Journalism. And you worked at the radio station. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go. Keep going. So I think it's a weird predicament because what we have to do as a sports person there, it's all internet, internet, being online, internet, traffic, right? So to me, I'm just – I look at it and I go, yeah, I can – some most days do without the internet. I can get my news from Twitter. I can get my news where if I listen to you guys, but you know, there's days where I just kind of look at it and go, man, this is just not someplace you want to wrap your head around 24 seven. So like for you, the internet, which Twitter is the internet, right? Yeah. I mean, Instagram, Twitter and the internet, that's work. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So what do you do when you're uh, unplugging? I actually read a book. I'm reading um, David Goggins' books. I just wrapped up. That his... Navy SEAL guy? Yeah. I'm a little skeptical of that guy, to be honest. I have to say, one of my friends recommended his memoir to me. And? and I, it was very good. Oh. Because I think with the that book, there's activities to do in it. And it's all mind exercises. And I thought, wow, this is really helpful. And it gives you a different perspective on how to go about your life. And then the other thing that I do is I go to the gym. A typical 23-year-old will probably say that to you if you 
go up to the street and say, Hey, what do you do in your free time? Oh yeah, I go to the gym. Cause that's, that's the new thing now, right? Cause everyone wants this release. They want this, this place to escape, to unwind from everything. And that's one of the things that people my age do now. I thought you were going to say everybody wants to be ripped because to be on Instagram, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta look a certain way. You gotta have the abs of steel. You gotta have a six pack, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, depends on how you go about that, but, uh, yeah, that's, that is the unrealistic bar, I guess. And how do you go about dating? I try not to think about it because if, again, this is where I try not to wrap my head around too many things. Cause if you put a lot of effort into one thing and you try to force things to go a certain way in your life, I, I've found it's not going to work. And to me, I've just kind of sat back and waited for the right opportunity. I have to keep my head down and work on the priorities that are in front of me. Okay, Ralph Waldo Emerson, it's been nice <laughs> meeting you, and uh, good luck on your journey. I guess we'll all be uh, working for you someday, it sounds like. What do you want to be? What do you ultimately want to be? Long term? Yeah. I like to do what you do, but sports-oriented, sports maybe. Have you, did yeah. it ever cross your mind to join the military? No. I, uh, we've had family members in the military, in my family, and I think from my parents' perspective, because they had members, family members who served, um, one of them didn't make it home. And I think that was a lot for my family to process. And this is back in World War II when people were just going left and right. And I think that was the moment where they said, you know, I don't know if this is something I want my kids to do, my grandkids to do, and that. But we have a lot of respect for what those guys do, and it's it's unbelievable how they can get through some of those things. Well, number one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would never try to talk anybody into it. <laughs> Seriously, I would never ever do that. I would never try to talk anybody out of it either. And uh, it's an individual choice. And quite frankly, actually, I might, I might, I might say you got to think long and hard before you do it now. Yeah, especially with how woke and crazy everything has gotten. Yeah. All right, so we're looking live right now at um, Dover Air Force Base where Joe Biden is next to his wife, the Secretary of Defense, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and uh, they're waiting for the caskets to come off. Joe wisely has his hands behind his back. <laughs> yeah. Not to critique the funeral, but no. that's a that's probably, I think he's been briefed. <clears throat> so maybe, just maybe he won't infuriate as many people as usual. Uh, thank you, Thomas, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on 77 WABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Kelly Show. Well, we're looking right now. Again, tough stuff. This is real. Real real things happen. Um, looking at mm, eight or nine soldiers go on and off a C-17, and they're escorting the, um, the caskets off of those soldiers, the three soldiers who were killed in Jordan. <sighs> and it's tough. 
It's tough. It is uh, the ultimate sacrifice. And I don't think this would have happened if Donald Trump were still in power. You know, a couple of things happened. We went through this. Uh, Joe Biden was so anxious to get the nomination, so desperate to become president that he made all kinds of promises and guarantees to the left. I'm going to take us off fossil fuel. I guarantee it. Getting right in that young lady's face and making those crazy promises in public, uh, canceling the Keystone Pipeline, making us more reliant on foreign oil. Um, Joe Biden antagonized and jeopardized our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was very reluctant to give us more oil uh, after Joe Biden called the, the prince over there a pariah and that we're not going to sell him any more weapons. And when you say something like that, well, there are consequences. So Iran, Iran was heavily sanctioned uh, under the Trump administration. Those sanctions were lifted. All kinds of money started flowing into Iran and all kinds of money started flowing out of Iran to Hamas in Gaza and to the Houthis in Yemen. And with the, with the money and the cash and uh, the backing of Iran, they got more and more aggressive. October 7th happened and the Houthis and ISIS and all that activity. And now we have three dead soldiers, and I don't think we would have had them if uh, Donald Trump were still in power. Actually, Ukraine wouldn't have been invaded. And also, October 7th never would have happened. One by one, they're coming off. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. All right. And um, we're actually going to talk to uh, somebody who knows exactly what this is like. Uh, I've gotten. I've had a couple of conversations with uh, Darren Hoover. Uh, he's from Utah. He lost his son, Staff Sergeant uh, uh, Taylor Hoover. He was 31 years old. He served in the Marines for 11 years. He was on his third tour in Afghanistan when he was killed at that gate, along with the 12 other uh, Marines, and I think there was a Navy corpsman uh, there as well. Uh, Mr. Hoover, uh, it'll be an honor to talk to him next. And... I'll be talking to all of you as well. Many thanks to be continued. We're we're back with a gold star parent, Mr. Darren Hoover, in just a few moments. You're listening to The Greg Kelly Show. Well, we all know the bad news that came uh, this week when we learned about those three soldiers who were killed uh, in Jordan, American soldiers killed in an Iranian-backed uh, terror attack and um, got us thinking about, well, lots of things when it comes to service and when it comes to uh, the administration, Joe Biden, and got me thinking about what happened in August of 2021, our horrendous and botched uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, the Marines and soldiers we needlessly lost uh, at that time, and and Joe Biden's insensitivity to the families. But um, I'm joined right now by Darren Hoover. Uh, Darren lost his son, Marine Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover, who was 31 years old back in August of 2021, one of the 13 Marines. And Darren Hoover has been outspoken um, about, well, what happened to his son and Joe Biden's uh, mishandling of the entire affair. Uh, but Darren Hoover, um, great to talk to you again. How are you? Doing pretty good, Greg. Doing pretty good. Thank you for asking. Uh, This is a moment uh, that you've been through before. It's happening right now, the dignified transfer. um, And you've been in the room where Joe Biden comes in and talks to the families. What what are these families 
I'm not talking about emotionally. I want to get to that. But what what's actually happening logistically right now with these families? So there at the at the air base in the uh, oh, the building, I can't think of the name of it. The USO building. There we go. USO building. Um, there's some some really plush couches and chairs and and the Navy staff that's on on uh, duty there. Make sure that everybody's taken care of from you know food and and snacks and and drinks and everything. And it's just a, a very somber time, um, you know, and obviously the emotions are, are running very high, but um, inside there, everything's being taken care of. And then the announcements made that, you know, with, for, with us, um, first the, the Commandant of the Marine Corps and the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps came in and, and spoke to us first and the announcement the announcement was made and then after they were finished the announcement was made that the president and uh, first lady would be coming in afterwards and so it's just a it's just it's a rough time it really is it's a rough time you know I'm watching uh, they're all standing there um, the Secretary of Defense the president the others dignity you know like the officials. I, I I wonder, did you want to be closer to the plane? Would that be appropriate? It just like I, I I don't know. I mean, where are the? I'm wondering where are the families? Maybe they want to keep them off camera. Did you feel excluded at any time during all of this? Oh no, no, not at all. Um, not out on the tarmac. No, the families, at least for us, and I I assume that the transfer was uh, handled the same way ours was. Um, the families are directly across from where the president, the secretary of defense, and, and all of those others are standing. We're directly across the tarmac from them, but the cameras are not allowed to show the various family members. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, there's a cordoned off area. Um, we were taken out. Obviously, I, obviously with us, there was two bus loads or three bus loads. Um, that took us out there and we disembarked and there's an uh, area cordoned off that we all stood behind and we knew the order in which each of our children came off of the the plane. So we were able to, to at least see that part of it. So did you speak to the president, president Biden that day? You know, he spoke to the majority of the families. We didn't allow him in the room where we were at. The USO building, there's a there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, I believe six different areas. Um, and they're open, kind of open rooms. And then ours had doors on it. And no, we didn't. We decided as a family we weren't going to talk to him. We didn't want to hear what he had to say. I understand you know what he said to the other families, but we could we could hear a couple of them right outside our door. But no, we didn't talk to him. Did you at that time? Did you notice what he was doing in checking his watch uh, as these uh, coffins were coming off? Oh, absolutely. We were standing directly across from him. I watched it every time that one of our kids came off that plane. 
he did it every single time. Every time. And he was... (laughs) Uh, he was called out for it. Bless her heart. Our daughter, uh, screamed at him as he was walking away to go back into the, the vehicles to head over to Air Force One and let him have a piece of her mind. <laughs> and rightfully so. She had every right to do it. That's, um, and she told him where to go, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you realize this, but. That's in a book. Uh, that's in a book. It's oh. called The Last Politician Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future. And um, that, I hope you burn in hell, that was my brother. That's actually in the book. But what's not in the book is what, what part of what prompted it, I guess, was that the insensitivity in looking at the watch. Um, but, but you know, that, that was a historic moment. It's been brushed off and kind of covered up by a lot of people. Can you tell us uh, what was your son's specialty, Taylor? Taylor, your son, what, what did he do in the Marine Corps? So ultimately he was the uh, platoon commander for his platoon, at, or excuse me, company, company commander uh, for, for his company that he was in charge of. Um, various different uh, platoons that were underneath his, his company um and he made sure that they had all their training that they needed to have that they had all the equipment that they needed to have and just their overall readiness for for being deployed and and obviously you know he had others there helping him but that was that was his job did you um get the full story as to what happened like, you know, the suicide bomber was what actually happened? The explosion that killed 13. What happened? I mean, there was the conflicting reports. And then I heard you didn't get the whole story. And then some felt they were being lied to. Do you feel satisfied? Do you know what happened? We do know what happened in talking with uh, his guys, his Taylor's guys that were willing to talk to us. Um, and then obviously we all heard from, uh, Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, who is the sniper, um, that, uh, had the, uh, bomber in his sights, asked for permission from Lieutenant Colonel Whited to be able to take the shots and word never came back down the line that he was, he was able to do that. Um, the, the DOD, the Marine Corps, I, they're in lockstep with each other. And we were lied to about where our kids were, um, when the explosion happened, uh, we were lied to about what happened because none of us knew until, uh, Sergeant Andrews testified before Congress, we didn't know that he had the bomber in his sights. Um, until that point, we've since learned, uh, that the, uh, terror cell that planned that bombing and were in effect making ready for it, were in a hotel down the road from Abbey Gate making final preparations for it. And we were, we would have been able to, and it was 
run up the chain of command to be able to do a precision drone strike on that hotel and take that cell out because they had all the intel that this bomber was coming and that was also denied. And why that is, I don't know. I don't understand having all of this information in hand, why they could not give the okay to do it. Bureaucracy. Absolutely it is. And it's disgusting. Sir, um, I'm sorry. Was your, was your son married? No, he was not. And why did he join the Marines? Well, (laughs) 9-11 had a huge impact on him. Um, He was 11 years old when that happened. And we actually kept him home from school that day because we had seen and heard and then turned the TV on and seen the plane hitting the the second tower. Uh, But that had a very profound effect on him at 11 years old. And he told us right then and there that, you know, I'm I'm going to be a Marine. And we're like, you know, we're thinking, his mom and I are thinking, well, okay, you know, he's 11 years old. Maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he won't and just kind of let it go. But he was always, Taylor was always the big helper. He would fight for the little guy. He was the anti-bully. He was the big teddy bear, but with a, tough exterior. And so in high school, uh, his junior year in high school, the recruiters were coming around and he would always go talk to them and he'd always go be around them because they were cool in their, in their fancy uniforms. And, you know, the Marine Corps uniforms, at least for me, and I know it was for him, they're the best. (laughs) They're dress blues. (laughs) And uh, so when he became a senior, uh, he between his junior year and his senior year, he was playing football too, um, but was working out. He knew what it needed to what he needed to do. And uh, senior year, he began working out with the Marine Corps. Um, and um, once once he decided, he came to us and and told us that hey, I'm going to join. I want to do this. And we said, well, okay, give us a year after you graduate from high school, get your feet underneath you, you know, see if that's what you want to do. And if that's still the case, we'll support you 110%. And sure enough, he gave us that year and he still wanted to go and we supported him completely in that endeavor and he never looked back. He just, he kept rolling, made himself stronger, you know, made him, he studied everything. Um, he was a trainer, uh, or an instructor, uh, for various different things throughout his career in the Marine Corps. And obviously he, he really loved his men that he was in charge of. Well, that's uh, that's kind of amazing. Eleven years old, and he sees nine eleven, and he knows what he's going to do at that moment, at that time, and that he would be there. That's when the war started, and he would be there as the war 
wound down and uh, just uh, wow. Well, listen, um, Mr. Hoover, it's a privilege to talk to you. It really is. And um, I just so appreciate hearing from you and talking to you and learning about your son. Is there anything um, anything we can do? I, or, I mean, I guess I, I know you're taken care of, but what, what would you recommend? Uh, you know, what, what, what should people be thinking about or, or doing or any, any, any final thoughts? Actually, Greg, and I appreciate you having me on again, and I'll always talk. We'll always talk about our son. We'll always talk about what happened on August 26, 2021. The the main takeaway, continue to say our kids' names. Um, unfortunately, this administration hasn't been able to do that yet, and we're two and a half months into it or two and a half years, excuse me, into this, and the administration still has not said their names once um, publicly uh, or to the news, anything like that. Um, so continue to say their names. And if you'll allow me, I want to say the names of the three, Sergeant Bill Rivers, Sergeant Kennedy Sanders, and Sergeant Brianna Moffat are the three that were killed continue to say their names as well. As long as we continue to speak their names, their legacies have already been set. But as long as we continue to say their names, they never really die. And that's what we want for our children. That's what I'd like to see for these three. And I'm not naive enough to think, you know, that it's never going to happen again. Because let's face it, we're, we're a country that needs defense. And, but things can be, the the circumstances can be mitigated, in my opinion, but just going forward, just continue to say their names. That way the kids never die. Wow. I did not know that about the administration not saying uh, the names of the 13 and uh, uh, understood. Darren Hoover, thank you so much. And, uh, and once again, the father of Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. Uh, heroes. You too, sir. Long career in law enforcement, I understand. We thank you very much. I appreciate it, Greg. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, be right back. Greg Kelly on 77 WABC. This is the Greg Kelly Show. Hey, this just in, the actor Carl Weathers has died. Carl Weathers, dead at the age of 76, perhaps best known for the role of Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies. He was magnificent in Rocky. Wow, Apollo Creed, loosely based on Muhammad Ali, the charisma, the dynamism. I mean, my goodness gracious, and uh, uh, in the ring and you know, when he was getting ready for the fight and the conversations with the promoters, just incredible. And he came back for Rocky II, Rocky Three, and others. What else was he in? Action Jackson was a big kind of franchise for him for a while. He was also in um, Force 10 from Navarone, played a, a a soldier, like a, like a what do you call it, uh, like an engineer bomb expert. Um, Carl Weathers. Um, sorry to hear that. I always wanted to meet him. Dead at the age of 76. It's funny. I was Googling him a few months ago. I think he he lived in Los Angeles, and then he moved to Seattle, I 
I think he had roots in Seattle, and I think he actually served in the Army as well in real life. Carl Weathers, dead at the age of 76. Hmm. All right. Robert in Riverhead, hello. Hi, how are you? Uh, that's Robert in Southampton, but that's okay. What's up? That's right. Uh, your friend Joe interviewed me for his book and his first movie because he found that I was a registered investment advisor that turned in the Obamas for being involved in in a pump and dump scheme, security fraud. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did, did you make the book? No, uh, because we couldn't uh, prove it. The company, the company that he they gave me to where they wanted to put their stock into the account in the Bahamas no longer exists. All right, hold on a second. Did you ever meet the Obamas? Uh, yes, I did. Where? In Atlanta, Georgia, where this pump and dump scheme was taken care of, being done. What year? And where we also what year in. This was in 2016. Right 2000, wait, Trump. 2016. So he's you met President by uh, President Obama. Obama about, and you were advising him about finances. Yes. Uh, interesting. How did that come to be? You're in Southampton. I mean, how did you uh, get involved? Well, because a friend of mine in Atlanta was friends with their chef, Marvin Woods. All right. Well, anyway, listen. So you never did any business with him, right? I didn't do any business with them because I found out what they were going to do. Well, and that's when I did, did you call the around. did you call the SEC or whatever? Not only that, I gave them a sworn testimony, and I have a copy of it. All right. Well, and so does Joel Gilbert. If that checks out, that's an interesting story. All right. Thank you, Robert. Uh, huh? We got to go to Sondra real quick. Hi, Greg. Um, I'm, I'm happy that I heard that uh, Donald Trump is going to do a big rally in the Bronx. And the reason I say this is because Michelle Obama, she'll probably run in August. Biden maybe will decide that's it in, in May. But I was looking at her book, um, The New Beginnings. There's a lot, of, a lot of hate that she has towards Trump, and it comes out in the book. And, and she's going to say it when she starts running, and she throws up the fact that he uh, ticked on the husband for maybe not being a citizen, and, 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 and that caused her to have worry for her girls. Yeah, she said Washington. so publicly. She's, uh, you know, look, she's a zero. Uh, we don't like her. And that book, uh, I should look at the book. I, I do. I like to look at the books of people I disagree with. Sandra, thank you. Uh-oh, Barbara, the music is up. I'm so sorry. Final thoughts of wisdom. Greg, if President Trump had been there with Mr. Hoover and those families, he would have said something like, our flag does not fly because the wind moves it. It flies with the lost breath of each soldier who died. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.